Amen. And while you're standing, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 22 this morning. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. We've been working through the book of Acts, seeing how the early church uh, lived, uh, what were the aspects of the early church. And this morning, as we journey through Acts, uh, we want to look at the fact that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. The word of the Lord says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. And on account, the peop- and on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And Lord, we pray the blessings of the Holy Spirit upon the public reading of Scripture. Now, Lord, you do in these next few moments what only you can do, and that is use these words to transform hearts. And Lord, I pray that it would work in all of us, that by the Spirit, all of our hearts would be moved by the Scriptures this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to be together. We praise your name. We thank you, Lord. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As you've been uh, reading with us, if you haven't, you kind of really need to start back at the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, to sort of get the understanding of what is transpiring here in uh, the book of Acts and what is happening with Peter and John, because that really is the beginning of this particular story uh, in Acts uh, chapter 4, where our text is, really begins in Acts uh, chapter 3. So if you're just uh, joining us in this series, you'll want to go back uh, after service and uh, look back and begin reading at chapter 3, so you can kind of have an under standing of where where we are. What I think that Acts chapter 4 and our text this morning speaks to us about is that there are generally uh, two types of people, particularly uh, those who are uh, engaged in some way uh, in the church or with the church, generally two types of people, those who have been with Jesus and those who have been around Jesus, those who have been with Jesus and those who have simply been around Jesus. In this particular story, what we find at Acts chapter 3 is that Peter and John were doing what 
Peter and John had traditionally done what had probably been part of their life for quite some time. They were going to the temple at the appropriate time in order to pray. And as they went to the temple at the appropriate time to pray, there was a lame man who was begging at the entrance into the greater uh, temple complex. And as he was uh, there begging at the entrance of the gate, Peter and John saw him. They did not have money to give to him, but Peter speaks to him. I don't have silver and gold. I don't have anything that I can give you, but what I do have, I can give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he grabs him by the hand, pulls him up, and the man begins to walk. And as we learned a few weeks ago, he began entering into the temple, which for him was probably the first time he had ever actually gone into the inner areas of uh, the temple. And he was leaping and he was praising God. And the people began to look at Peter and John with kind of awe and say, wow, what have you done? And Peter sees that and he says, why are you looking at us? as if by our own religiosity or our own power that we have done this deed. It's not by us, but it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands whole before you today. And that created a ruckus with the religious system and the religious authorities because the Sadducees who began to confront Peter and John, they did not believe in the resurrection. So to them, how can you be doing this miracle in the name of Jesus when we saw Jesus crucified on a cross and put in a tomb and he's dead? And so Peter begins to proclaim life through Jesus who is resurrected. And so it sets up this scenario that we begin to find in chapter 13, where after Peter has preached, in essence, to the religious leaders, the religious leaders have to figure out what to do. They have to figure out, in the face of a man who, it's very clear that he's been healed. There's no question on that, because he had laid by this gate for 40 years, and all of these people had passed by him on their way to the temple. So the fact that a notable miracle had been done was not lost on everyone. The fact that it was done by two men who had been in the presence of Jesus was also not disputed. What was disputed was them using the name of Jesus in order for this miracle to take place. And it begins in verse 13 that we have to come to an understanding that when we have been with Jesus, when we have been with Jesus, it changes our understanding of things. The Scripture says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, the uh, word there that is used for uneducated is idiot. As they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were idiots, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Now, an aside, that word idiot is, in essence, means the common man, just the average person. And so the religious leaders looked down their long noses 
at the common person who wasn't able to understand the things of God, who wasn't able to understand what it meant to be with Jesus instead of simply being around Jesus. Peter and John, yes, they were uneducated and untrained, yet they were recognized as having been with Jesus. This is the first piece of evidence against them in this tribunal, in this court, is that they acted like they had been with the Lord. They did good deeds. There was a healing. They spoke with authority, and yet they were idiots. They knew what they were talking about. They spoke with authority about what they had seen and what they had heard. You see, in the case of theology, we see this a lot today. There are a lot of theologians that when they walk through the Scriptures or read through the Scriptures, well, we think it happened this way, or we think it may have come to pass like this, or this was what Jesus may have been meaning. But when Peter and John, who had been with Jesus, they didn't have to wonder what the Lord meant or what the Lord was doing. They spoke with authority because they had been with him. It was different than what the other religious leader, how the other religious leaders spoke. They could not speak with authority because they simply knew about Jesus. The religious leaders didn't believe in the miracle even when it hits them right in the face. They didn't believe in the power of Jesus, even when he is standing right in front of them. Yet, when you have been with Jesus, there is a definitive change. The woman at the well She had been with Jesus, and she changes from a daughter and fornicator to one who is an evangelist telling about, come see this man. Zacchaeus, when he was climbing up in the tree to see Jesus, he changed from a tax cheat and a scam artist to one whose heart was filled with compassion to make amends for all the wrong that he had done. Mary Magdalene was with Jesus, and she was changed from one who was demonically possessed to one who was Holy Spirit empowered. The demoniac among the tombs was with Jesus, and he was changed from a tormented soul to one who proclaimed the great things that God had done. The ten lepers who met Jesus were cleansed, but it was the one who came back to be with him. It was that one that came and glorified God with a loud voice. You see, there's a difference than simply being around Jesus and being with Jesus, being in his presence, longing for his spirit to be at work in you, longing for his word to transform you, and longing for his church to motivate you. Jesus changes your understanding. He changes your understanding of who you are. He changes your understanding of where you are going. He changes your understanding of what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He changes your understanding of what it means to walk along a path with the Lord, to honor him with your whole life. 
Jesus changes our understanding. But being with Jesus simply doesn't change up here. Being with Jesus also changes the circumstances in which we find ourselves. In verse 14, the word of the Lord says, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, with Peter and John, they, the religious leaders, had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. You talk about just idiots. <laughs> you talk about scamming. The man is standing right in front of you who has been healed, and they're saying it's in the name of Jesus. You saw him day in and day out. You cannot deny the miracle, and yet in the face of a miracle, you continue to deny the one who did it. Peter and John, their circumstances were changed. They moved from fishermen to apologists without a seminary degree. They were full of the Holy Spirit because they had been with Jesus. And when you are with Jesus, it puts you in opposition to those who are simply content to be around Jesus. When you have been with the Lord... It puts you in opposition to those who are simply content to have just been around Jesus, to just have been around Jesus' people, but they're not willing to step in with their whole self because they like the power and the authority, just like the religious leaders. They liked the long prayers. They liked the greetings. They liked the beautiful clothes. And if they had admitted that Jesus was who he said he was, they would have had to give all of that up. But Peter and John knew that being with Jesus changed your circumstances. There will be confrontation. Jesus showed compassion to the woman who was caught in adultery, but he was angry with those who perverted the temple. Jesus showed compassion to the leprous people, but he called the Pharisees the whitewashed tombs. You have to see in the scriptures how there is this understanding of what is right and good and just and following after the Lord and how Jesus is pushing back against those who seek to take away from those who are longing for him, those who seek to step forward and have their own power and their own authority recognized. You see, the rabbis, these religious leaders, they would not believe. When you look at the book of Revelation, you read through the book of Revelation, it's actually quite astounding that reading through and you see some of the signs and wonders that will be happening in the heavens and in the earth. And the Bible says that they still curse God. They still cry out against him. They still uh, push back against the Lord. They still don't believe in Jesus. They still will not submit. They still will not 
humble themselves. And we look at that in the book of Revelation, you think, how in the world can that transpire? How in the world can it be that someone in the midst of all of these signs and wonders would still turn their back on the Lord? And here we see it, the same exact thing happening in the book of Acts. We could see a mighty miracle take place in our church this morning, and we could see that miracle be verified by people on the outside, maybe someone just like in this circumstance who would, everyone would know, well, that person needed healing. That person needed a touch. And do you know that there would still be people who would not believe? There would still be people who would reject Jesus because it confronts them and their desire for power, their desire for authority, their desire for whatever it is that they want above and over the Lord Jesus Christ. Power-hungry people will always choose politics over presence. Do not be dismayed when you are with Jesus and he changes your circumstances. And often in our day, we think that Jesus changing our circumstances always means that it's for the better in our mind. Well, I'm eager to follow the Lord and go after him, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek him. And then the next day, you step into a circumstance or a situation where it's a greater challenge than before you started. And what I've often seen with those who come to the Lord is that they make a commitment to follow Jesus. They make a commitment to pray and to seek him. And the moment that they do that, in a few days, the world seems to crash in upon them. The world seems to come against him. And what we fail to realize is what maybe we're trying to overcome here with prayer and stuff is that it is a spiritual battle. And when someone comes to the Lord, we have to recognize there is a spiritual battle over that soul. And what has been implanted, the enemy is trying to steal away. And the enemy often uses those in power, to steal it away. Because people in power have a lot to lose when they are before the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is but one God and God's kingdom. There is but one person who can stand in authority, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't be dismayed when you are with Jesus, when you decide today that I'm going to be in his presence. When you decide today that you are going to pray after him and seek after him and long after him like you've never longed after him before, that you're going to put yourself to the task of seeking after the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised when your circumstances change and the enemy begins to fight against you. But what I can assure you of this morning, that as you seek after the Lord and as you long after him, he will make the weapons of your warfare more real to you than what they have ever been before. He will help you to learn how to use the weapons of spiritual warfare to fight in the spiritual battle. 
Many of you will know the Christian author C.S. Lewis who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. In one of the stories, Susan asks, is Aslan safe? And the beaver responds, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. And what that means what that uh, little passage, what C.S. Lewis was trying to put out to believers and those who were searching after the Lord was to understand that you can't control God. You can't bring him down to your level and figure out every little thing that he's going to do. But there are times when you kneel in prayer and you seek after him that your changed circumstances are going to be such that you find yourself saying, how did I get here? God, I'm longing after you and praying for more of you, and yet I find myself in hotter water than what I was before. And you know, we only need to look to the life of our Lord and Savior. When he began his ministry, he began it with a fast and with prayer. Forty days, in fact. The Bible says in the power of the Spirit, Jesus didn't drink or eat, and he was in the wilderness, and he was longing and praying. And I will tell you that if God supernaturally worked upon me to push back the plate and to not have anything to eat or drink for 40 days, one, that is a supernatural event, but two, if the Lord had done that in my life, I would expect that as I come off that fast that I would be on a Holy Ghost high. I would expect that as I come off of that fast, that I would be storming the gates of hell. And what happens to Jesus after the 40 days? The enemy comes right against him. And the Bible says, what happens? He is tempted. I find as a pastor, sometimes the greatest spiritual battle is not praying and leading up to Sunday morning. It's after Sunday morning has already happened, Sunday afternoon. That's where the greatest battle takes place in my mind. I should have said, why did I say? God, can you use this? And it is a spiritual battle to recognize we're making an offering to the Lord and we have to leave it there. I'm doing this in human ability according to the command of the Lord and I'm hoping God will use it and praying God will use it for spiritual results in each of our lives. Spiritual battle. Being with Jesus will change your circumstances. Peter and John may have never thought that they would have been in court before the religious leaders for doing a good deed. Four years prior in their life, they may have never thought that they would be leaving the fishing boats in the Sea of Galilee. Four years prior, they would have been comfortable in the water. They would have been comfortable casting the nets. They would have been comfortable doing what they had always done, probably doing what their fathers before them had done and their grandfathers had done and their great-grandfathers had done. But Jesus comes along and Jesus changes everything. Their understanding, their circumstances, and he changes their mission. Verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered and said to them, the religious leaders, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what 
we have seen and heard. They were willing to sacrifice everything because they had been with Jesus. The religious leaders were willing to sacrifice nothing. Do you understand? They were willing to sacrifice nothing even in the face of a miracle. They weren't willing to sit down and say, no, Peter and John, help us understand more about this Jesus. Peter and John, help us understand a little more about how Jesus is working. Help us, Peter, we don't believe in the resurrection right now, but give us a greater understanding of what this Jesus has done and how you know that he has been resurrected from the dead. What did they do? They cast them out, they closed the doors, and they began to conspire. They're not interested to change. They're not interested to exalt Jesus. They're not interested to worship Jesus. They were willing to sacrifice nothing because they had only been on the periphery hearing about Jesus, maybe seeing Jesus at a distance, trying to catch him in a question at some point, seeing him crucified and laughing that that criminal died on the cross. Peter and John's mission had changed from catching fish to catching people. They were willing to emphatically state that they were going to continue with the mission of Jesus. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Those who were in religious authority, they were playing politics the whole time. They could not deny the miracle, and so they kept going on with the political wrangling. They tell Peter and John, you can't preach in this name any longer. And what this does, don't think that they're just trying to cover their tracks. They're trying to make a case here. They're trying to make a case against Peter and John because now that we've told you to your face and we have recorded it that you can't preach in this name any longer, the next time we see you preaching in that name, now we have authority to go and grab you and to hold you, to persecute you. It wasn't simply because they didn't want word to get out about Jesus. They were politically trying to cover themselves for the next time that they came around preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Peter and John were not fearful. They did not have to think about it. They did not have to wonder about it because their heart had been changed by being with the Lord. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Being uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ makes you hungry to participate in his mission. Being with Jesus makes you count the cost and realize that pursuing God's glory is not an easy road, but it is a road filled with faith and blessing and ultimately eternity in his life. And I'd ask you this morning, could you stop speaking about Jesus and what he's done for you? If you're in relationship with the Lord, if you've been with him, is this something that you can go day by day in and not really think about the Lord? 
not really think about his presence, not really think about what he's done for you, not in that moment where you think about where God has brought you from, what God has done in your life, how he has transformed you, that your heart is filled with praise to him. And even in the midst of a challenging circumstance, you might lift your hand and worship the Lord because he has done something great in your life. Could you stop talking about that? Could you stop talking about his presence? Could you stop talking about his peace? If you can, maybe you've just been with him. Maybe you've just been around him and not been with him. Maybe you've just been hanging around church circles and you know the Christian jargon. Maybe you've just been hanging around people who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know the words that are said. You know the ways to act. You know the appropriate time to say an amen. You know the appropriate time to lift your hands in worship. But inside, it continues to be dead and you can go days on end without thinking about the power of God in your life, without thinking about how God has transformed you. That means that you've just been around Jesus because I can tell you if you've been with him, it will overflow from the abundance of your heart. If you have been with the Lord, you will not be able to keep your mouth shut even at the inappropriate time. You'll have to speak praise to God because he has done something in you that no one else could do because you remember like the woman at the well where you were in your iniquity and your sin and Jesus came by and he told you all the things that you had done before and by his grace and by his mercy he cleansed you from your sin he cleansed you from your guilt and now you can walk back in authority and power and tell others about this Jesus who told you everything that you had ever done and loves you anyway have you just been around him instead of been with him we need people who have been with the Lord. Jesus, teach us to be with you. Jesus, teach us to be with you. Jesus, we don't want to be like the religious leaders. Jesus, we don't want to be like people who just are trying to make themselves great, make others look to them. Lord Jesus, we want to be with you. We want to be like Peter and John, Lord. We want to be seen as those who are uneducated and untrained, but by being with you now, we speak with authority and with power, oh God, that we're not looking to be in it for ourselves. We're not looking to say, look at us and the great things that we have done, oh God, but we are looking to say, look at Jesus, see Jesus. Don't look at us, look at Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be with you. Your mission changes. If you feel like I'm, I'm just being around Jesus, I've not been with him, 
I can go days and not think about him. I can go days and not thank him for what he's done. I can spend weeks without being in his word. This is his love letter to you. You want Jesus to speak to you? Here it is right here. Here it is right here. You want him to speak to you? This is his word to you. He will speak to you every morning. He will speak to you every night. He will speak to you at lunchtime. He will speak to you whenever you open it. Jesus will speak to you. You're going around looking for a word. You're flipping the channels, looking for a word. You're going to this prophet, that prophet. Jesus will speak to you from his word. Today, open his word, and he will speak to you. Don't just be around Jesus. Long to be with Jesus. When we're with Jesus, yes, he changes our understanding. He changes our circumstances. He changes our mission. And ultimately, he will change our worship. When they had threatened, the religious leaders had threatened Peter and John further. They let them go because they found no basis to punish them. On account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Get what's happening here. Those who are trained as rabbis and teachers and leaders in the law, they are sitting stern-faced and upset and angry while all the idiots are praising God. While all the idiots are out there worshiping the Lord. This is the world system at play. This is what you must come to understand. What you must come to understand about the world outside of these walls. Is that when you worship Jesus, those who are in power and authority, they want to stand up and look down their nose at you and thinking, these people don't really understand. These idiots out there who are lifting their hands in worship to the Lord, who are praising God in other tongues, who are worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, these are simple little idiots. (laughs) That's how the world sees you. And what you have to determine is, are you comfortable with that perception? Are you comfortable with what the world sees as an idiot, God sees as a worshiper? Are you comfortable that what the world sees as an idiot, God sees as one after his own heart? One longing for him in spirit and in truth. One longing to be filled once again with the precious Holy Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is uh, just a, he is with the Lord, but he was a Welsh uh, preacher who uh, led the uh, Westminster Chapel in London. He uh, wrote a book, and the name is escaping me, uh, Joy Unspeakable. He wrote a book called Joy Unspeakable about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in that book, he chronicles people who had encounters with the Holy Spirit. And he talks about what that meant to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he said that there were men of God who he knew as men of God who lived righteous and holy lives, who God reached in and God 
touch them one time. And then that was the longing of their heart for the rest of their lives. God touched me like that one more time. That they longed after it and longed after it and longed after it once more. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted of his goodness this morning? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? And have you spent time with him? Peter and John were not willing to allow people to worship them. Peter and John were not willing to allow people to look to them. And you and I have to be careful of misplaced worship. And it's no more a need than for the person who stands behind this desk. We must be careful of misplaced worship. I can tell you anything good that happens here, don't look at me. Anything positive that happens here, don't look at me. My hope in our launch of Riverstone is that you did not come because you're following a particular person. My hope is that all of us are not jumping on the next new thing. My hope is that we are a people who are united in this one thing, that we want to see a wave of God that crushes the religious system that seeks to exalt itself over exalting Jesus, that we want to be part of something that says, follow me as I follow Christ, that we want our worship to be pure and sweet to the Lord alone, that we're willing to tell about what God has done in us. This is something that you will see here is I may not always fill this pulpit. At times, we're going to understand and we're going to recognize that there are people whose God's Spirit is moving upon who God has called to be preachers of the gospel. And they may be better than me. They may be worse than me. They may have more experience than me. They may have less experience than me. But what I will tell you, that if there are people who are called by God to preach the message of the cross, we're going to give them opportunity to do it. Because it's not going to be about one person. It's not going to be about a few people. It's going to be about all of us together longing to serve Jesus, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. We will recognize that God works in the lives of all people. Think about this. The woman at the well, Jesus confronts her about having seven husbands and living with the guy she's with now. And moments after being in Jesus' presence, moments after being with him, she is now an evangelist for the gospel. We believe in the power of God to transform souls to such an extent that those who were once sinners can now become preachers. Those who were once mired in the muck of the world can now become evangelists. Those who were in the lowest of low, the sinfulness of sin, can now be sent with our dollars that we put in these baskets to lands that have not heard. That's the type of church that we want to be. Seeing God work, we are not going to be the church. We will not be the church that says do you know what they did? We are going to be the church that says, look at what Jesus has done. Amen. 
that will be us. Look at what Jesus has done. And it happens, my brother and my sister. It happens when you and I, above everything else, are willing to tarry and be with the Lord. You've heard me say it. I say it again. I ask the Lord for us as a church. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to tarry. Teach us to worship. I don't want to bring what I've learned, what I've experienced, and all those things to this place. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to worship. Teach us from your word, O Lord. That we will be a church that longs after you and realizes that when someone encounters your power and in your mind, that Jesus changes what? Everything. Everything. Jesus changes everything. Stand with me. God, I pray in this moment. God, I pray in this moment that you will speak to the college student that what they're going to college for should only be for your glory. God, I pray that you will speak to the middle-aged person in their workplace that the reason you've given them wisdom and knowledge is not for their own self. The reason you have given them understanding is for your glory and for your kingdom. God, I will pray at this moment that you will speak to the retiree. Yes. The reason you have helped them to get to this point in life is so that they can be with you. Amen. I will tell you in this moment, Lord, I believe that for some there is no greater opportunity than those who have retired from vocational labor, who are able to spend large amount of times in prayer and in your word seeking after you. If these people who are retired, who are ceased kind of worldly labor, but are focused and have opportunity, God, that if they would see this mission field that is ahead of them, Lord, an opportunity to pray, to long after you, to seek after you, oh God, that it would set the world on fire. You see, the world wants to tell us that gray hair moves you to the back of the line. Gray hair moves you out of the line of opportunity. Gray hair puts you in a place where you're no longer productive. But I believe that the Lord speaks to us in this moment that as we age, the Bible tells us that we become, we can, can become wise in the ways of the Lord. We can encourage those in generations behind us. And I know, oh God, that you give us opportunity to be fervent in our prayers. And I I pray, O oh Lord, that this church would recognize the valuable opportunity of those who are aged in the faith, who have walked a long time, who have seen the testimony of God, who, as it were, have seen the river part, who have walked through the Red Sea and seen the power of God. I pray, O oh Lord, that we would not fail to recognize their place and their purpose to pray and to seek you. And God, I ask you in this moment that for each and every one of us, Lord, from the pulpit to the pew, that you would convict us, Lord, if we desire any sense of authority or power unto ourselves. Oh, God, that we would be just like Peter and John. Why are you looking at us? Look at Jesus. Why do you ask us? Log for Jesus. And God, that only happens in doing what Peter and John did, being with you. 
I pray, oh Lord, that the people who are simply content to be around you won't find a home here at Riverstone. If they're not willing to be with you. God, I pray, I pray, oh God, that you will help us. That as we share the gospel with people, as we talk about Jesus, as we pray in these neighborhoods, Lord, that there might be people who have been around and they come and they visit and they meet people who have been with. And they say, that's what I want. That's what I'm longing for. I see Jesus in them. Not that I see Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, but I see Jesus. Because what we know, if we can get someone to be with you, oh Lord, we can get someone to be with Jesus, it changes everything. As we continue to pray, I'm going to give you opportunity. If you have been around the church, you've been around Jesus, You say, I'm done with that. I want to be with him. I can go days and not think about him. I can go days and not be in his word. I can go days and not pray. The prayer life's not there. My prayers, when I do pray, hit the ceiling. No life there. See, I'm tired of that. I want to move from simply being around it to being with Jesus. If you're willing to come and let people pray with you. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel at the altar. Nothing special about this altar other than it's a place that we have dedicated to meet the Lord. People have come and prayed at this spot, praying for you. Maybe today is the day where you say, Jesus, I want you to change everything. Maybe you've not even been around the church. Maybe you've not even been around Jesus. Maybe this is the first time you've heard the words today. But you feel something distinct in your heart. The Bible speaks to us and says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Don't go any longer. You feel it right now. That is the Holy Spirit calling you to himself. It is God's grace to you, pulling you to him. Maybe you would come and we could pray with you.